Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Here we are um, examining uh, a a topic that um, I love, and it's, um, of course, the prophetic part of the Word of God. You know, uh, it, it, it has to be very, very clear. No matter where we start in the Bible, God is love. He wants you to know He loves you. He did the unthinkable of sending his only begotten son to die for you. And the only single thing that he is required from you is that you will believe that that is the price that was paid for you and that you will surrender your life to him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he soever believes in him will not perish but will have, of course, eternal life. So, so the only thing that he's interested in is that you will believe. He did all the rest. It's in past tense. He loved the world already to the point of sending. He sent his only begotten son. By the way, make no mistake, I would have never done that. If I was in his place, I, would, I, I don't love people to the point that I'm going to give my own son to die for them. And he did. He did. I'm looking at my son, and I can't imagine having to give up on him. I can't imagine doing that. That type of love is the ultimate love. And God wants us not just to understand his love, but to have peace with God. It's it's very imperative that you understand that. Because we go back to the scriptures, the only time the world, had peace with God was Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21. Can you imagine? Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world and then he created Adam and then created Eve and then he gave them dominion over all the things. And Adam, I mean, it was amazing. Adam was right there. Lion, come over here. Sit down. Can you go to the jungle right now and do that to the lion? We lost dominion. We lost that which was originally given to us. Sit right here, and I want you to make peace with the deer. We can't do that anymore. We go to the jungle, and we are afraid of all the animals. But these animals originally were, we were the masters of the garden. We lacked nothing. It was a perfect place. There was water. There was food. There was life, and the most important thing, we had fellowship with God daily. daily. There was no temple, really. We didn't have to do stuff. God was there, walking in the garden. Wow. And one day we decided, uh, that's not good enough. Well, somebody told us that uh, actually, what God told us is not exactly true. If he told us if we touch that fruit, we will surely die. So we better not do that. And 
we anyway decide to do that, then you know what the result is? The serpent told her, you will not surely die. And then he told her, if you eat it, you will be like God. See? Instead of having peace with God, we want to become God. And so, the man that God intended to have in this world is no longer there to, to function the way God wanted him to. And we, we had to be new man, one new man, new creation. We had to be now born again from above in order to have peace with God. Because in this world, in this state, in, in this flesh, we're no longer able to. We invited death ourselves into our world, and now we are reaping what we sow. Put your picture right next to you from 20 years ago. You're dying. <laughs> Sorry. You were younger and way more beautiful. But that's it. And it started with Adam and, and his generation of 900 years lifespan and went down to 600 and down to all the way to David. When David died, David was 70 years old and the Bible says he was very old. Wow. With modern technology and medicine today, we are prolonging life. In fact, uh, they say that the life expectancy in Israel nowadays is about 82 years. Higher, by the way, than the U.S. 79 years in the U.S. If you are above that, Praise the Lord. <laughs> but think about it. Look what we have done. One new man. Hmm. Interesting because God always wanted that man will have peace. It was so peaceful in the Garden of Eden. And then we invited that serpent to break that trust that we had. What is peace with someone? To trust him. To know that he will never attack you. That's when you have peace with him. We invited that Satan. And the trust was broken. And so when God in chapter 3 walked in the garden. The joy and the peace and the happiness and the trust were all gone. I mean Adam and Eve are hiding from God. That's it. They're afraid. They are ashamed. But God wants us to live in peace. In fact, even now in this world, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, Therefore I exhort first all of you that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. In fact, the name of the Messiah in, in the Bible is the Prince of Peace. And, and in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, not for a certain period, but always, and not in a specific location, but every way and everywhere. The Lord be with you all. So we have established that God intended us to live with peace. We, we are those who invited the lack of peace, the lack of trust, the lack of joy, the lack of um, 
of, of um, you know, fellowship with him. We are those that invited that rebellion that was part of us. And it's so sad that right after chapter 1 and 2, chapter 3 already goes all the way down south. And 4, the first murder in the, in the, in the history. And then 5, to the point all the way that you get to the saddest two verses in the whole Bible. You would expect it to be in the middle of the Bible. No, Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every, inte every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at it. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, there was nothing good. Only and continually. What a horrible picture. And then he said, and the Lord, that's where, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. He made us the crown jewel of the creation. He gave us dominion and authority over everything. We were above angels, just short of God, but above angels. And that wasn't enough for us. We wanted to be like God. And who told us that we can be? The one who always wants to be like God, Satan himself. And we end up believing him more than we believe God. Nowadays, all around America, there's churches of Satan. Did you know that? They openly worship him as the one who brings light to the world. The light bringer, they call him. The light of Lucifer. And they are called themselves the enlightened ones. Whereas he is responsible for the decay of this world. You know, God wants his children to know his plans. We're not worshiping a God that is hiring a group of people that know the future. And if you pay them money and if you go to a dark room with a crystal ball or some sort of some leftover of coffee in their coffee mugs, uh, that's how you will know the future. No. You know, then all over New York City, you go downtown Manhattan, every other place, every other street, there is a psychic shop. People want to know the future. And is that sad? The Bible says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, he says, I, the, I remember the former things of God. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God says, look, my people, my children, if you believe in me, then you know you perfectly know the times and the seasons. There is no need, Paul said to the Thessalonians, there is no need for me to write to you. Because you perfectly know. In chapter 5. In Amos chapter 3 verse 7, he says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Wow. The prophets. Those amazing people. And they did not go to school of prophets. That was not their job. 
They didn't make money of it. In fact, they were tormented by the fact that they had to deliver all those sometimes bad news to the people. They were not popular at all. When Jesus described Jerusalem, Jerusalem that killed her prophets. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says that prophecy never came by the will of man. For holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's not of any private interpretation. So God, through the prophets of all, spoke to us and continued doing so even in the days of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, who in ancient times spoke to the fathers through the prophets, is now in these last days speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus did not abolish. He did not change. He did not replace. He continued the ministry of the prophets when it comes to telling the people about the future. So we understand that in this world, the word war is very, very common. By the way, the word war in the Bible is the first time in, in, in Genesis chapter 14. But we know already that the lack of peace and the lack of trust and the lack of joy and the lack of fellowship started already in Genesis 3. And I believe that we are about to see in the coming future four times in this world where it's going to be peace and war. That's why I named this message this morning, Peace and War Times Four. The first time is right now. Again, I'm not talking about the past. I'm talking about present and future. Right now, 99% of the Bible is speaking about Israel and the people of Israel, the land of Israel. That reflects everything to the whole world. Israel was given a prophecy by Daniel that there is a specific time period that God had allotted for, for Israel to complete its history. And it's very interesting because not only Daniel was speaking about that, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Hosea, and also others. But Ezekiel is the one that went into the deepest details, not only about the fact that Israel will come back to life, the land will be revived, the remnant from the Holocaust will be saved, they will be brought physically back to their land. The language will be revived. But he also said that the day is coming. And that Israel as a nation is no longer going to be the subject of an attack just because of who they are. The war of Psalm 83. A war of Israel's independence where all of our neighboring nations attacked us for what? For who we are, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. That is gone. Israel, in the last 10 years or so, maybe even less than that, had made a great and amazing shift from being a persecuted country that is about to be annihilated by its neighbors because of who they are, to being a regional superpower that all of the region wants to benefit from. 
Make sure that you know that Jordan cannot live a day without Israel. We give them water, and now we even give them energy, nat natural gas. Even Egypt is now buying from us natural gas. You need to understand that we are fighting all the problems right now of the Iranian entrenchment in Syria, and that is a destabilizing factor for the whole Middle East. Saudi Arabia is thanking us. The United Arab... Oh. something on the web about and that is disabled as a factor. <laughs> Siri never stood on my way when I talked. We, we were just talking about it, me and Pastor Bob, about the fact that many times uh, the phone, um, you say one thing and the phone says another thing. And, and the phone is using bad language. Yes, so thank God. <laughs> Sunday morning, yeah. So here we are looking at what's going on in Israel. And Israel is in its probably most prosperous and safest era of its history. Amen. Right now, right now, as we speak, look, look at yourself. I want everyone to take your finger and point at yourself. Because you are the generation that is alive to see not only the birth of Israel, but Israel flourishing. You see, when Jesus said to the disciples on Matthew 24, when he was in Mount of Olives, when the fig tree is going to blossom, not just trying to get back to life, blossom, then you know the summer is near. Then you know it's at your door, he said. He said, that generation that will see that shall not pass away. Look at you. Oh, nice, Israel is there, Jerusalem is there. Cool. Cool? <laughs> 2,000 years we were out of our land. Jerusalem was not part of our, our country. Are you kidding me? We are the only generation since the time of Jesus Christ that not only experiencing the return of the Jews back to their land, not only experiencing the revival of the dead soil to now produce so much. Do you understand? And, and not only, do you know that we are extracting water from the air? You know, you sneeze, we drink. <laughs> do you know that Israel is almost number one in financial technology? In, in cybersecurity, do you know that our cows are the most productive cows in the world? Not holy cows, but productive cows. <laughs> Jewish cows, they complain by produce. <laughs> Every moo is computerized over there. Did you know that uh, Israel is purifying almost 90% of its wastewater and then reuse it? Do you know that we are the third on the list of India's import of, 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 of uh, weapons and, and, and defense systems? Third, Israel, the dot on the map, is after Russia and America. Wow. All the countries wants to do business with us. Saudi Arabia is buying from us the Iron Dome. Jesus must be coming back. <laughs> Do you understand what we're talking about? We're talking about a reality where Israel from a very, very persecuted 
nation that was about to be annihilated by its own neighbors is now thriving to the point that that's the reason why they, are, they want to go to war with it right now. The next war, according to the Bible, is not a war about who we are. It's about a war. It's about what we have. And we have trillions of cubic feet of natural gas. The Americans are now willing to help us financing um, a, a, a pipe under the Mediterranean to bring gas all the way to Europe to compete with the Russians. God forbid. The Russians are trying to have a deal with Germany from the north, $11 billion cost. We have a $7 billion cost. Cheaper, faster, better, and from us. <laughs> Can you imagine how much the Russians don't like it? And so when a Syrian rocket is hitting a Russian plane, guess who we need to blame? That's what we're here for. <laughs> Remember, Iran has no rain. We stole the clouds from them. <laughs> Seriously, that's what they said. Ladies and gentlemen, the peace that the world is now trying to impose in the area between Arabs and Israel, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. One thing is for sure, Israel today is safe and secure and prosperous and known as a world power. And as I said, and just so you know, a survey done for Rosh Hashanah just two weeks ago shows that 89% of the Israelis feel safe, secured, and happy. And we are not known for people that are satisfied, just so you know. <laughs> are you kidding me? 89% show me one country where 18, and, and it's not a country like Switzerland where the only, you know, I was in Switzerland one day and the headlines of the newspaper, you know what it was? Parliament approves tunnels for frogs. The frogs made it to the front line. And I said, yeah, some countries have it so good that the frogs make it to the front line. And we're in a very tough neighborhood, yet we're happy, content, satisfied, safe, secure, and prosperous. Amazing. But why do I say that? Because the Bible said so. It's going to happen. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 38... That in light of Israel's prosperity, there will be a great war approaching. A war that the Bible in Ezekiel 38 describes as the war of what? Gog, who comes from the land of Magog. Why do I say first, by the way? Because your Bible says that there's two Gog and Magog wars. You may not know that. My, my Bible too, by the way. And I want you to know, that the first war, as he's describing Ezekiel, describes a leader that comes from the uttermost northern part, and he is coming from Rosh of Russia of today, he's bringing all of those uh, weapons like a cloud, dark cloud, and he's with him. He has Persia, which is Iran, and Gomer and Togarma, which is Turkey of today, and Kush and Put, which is Sudan and Libya of today, and he's creating an alliance, and they're not coming to Israel because Israel is Israel. They're coming to Israel because we have something that they don't have. Ladies and gentlemen, the economies of all of those countries now down. There's nothing better than a war to revive economy. The next war is at hand. And it's, it's going to happen after February, so you can come if you want. But <laughs> here I am trying to sell an Israel tour. <laughs> but I want you to know 
that the Bible ensures that Israel is going to survive. Not just survive, win. Not just win, we're going to stay in Israel and win because God Almighty is going to fight for us. Amen? Amen. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. It's interesting because that war may not last too long. Wars nowadays don't last that long when terrible weapons are being used. But I'll tell you something, folks. This war, according to the scriptures, is going to be a war where a major radical religion will probably come to its almost end. The countries that are going to come against Israel are countries that are harboring so much terrorism and so much hatred towards Israel. And when they are going to be completely eradicated, then all that is left is for the hundreds of millions of Muslims to maybe try and adopt the new world religion of peace and do good, be good, and feel good. Something that, by the way, is being led by the Vatican as we speak right now. I want you to know that when the war of Ezekiel is over, there is a good chance that we're already out of here. Why? Because for the man of peace to come and introduce the peace, according to Daniel chapter 9, he cannot do so unless we are out of the way. That's what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. He cannot reveal himself unless the restrainer is being taken out of the way. So I always tell people, you know, if you're in mid-November and you see Christmas lights, you know that Thanksgiving is around the corner. In other words, if he is already planning his emerging into the world scene, that must be telling all of us that our departure is even sooner than that. Amen? Amen. But that peace, we're going to be out of here, you know. We're going to be out of here in a place that Jesus worked for for 2,000 years to prepare for us. How do you know that? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What's so difficult? <laughs> and by the way, he said, and I'm going to come back. And take you, Amen. receive you unto myself, so where I am, you will also be. Where is he right now? At the right hand of the Father. In other words, who is changing addresses here? Us. He didn't say, I'm going to come back, so where you are, I will also be. So we're going to change addresses very soon. We're going to go home because the Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven already. Amen? Wait. So here we are going to... The Bible says we're going to be changed. I love it. It says, look, I'm going to tell you a mystery. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, 51 and all. He says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Not all of us are going to die, but all of us are going to change. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, that body that is wearing corruption right now, your body is in a decay, it's dying, is going to wear what? Incorruption. Your cells will stop dying. Ooh, no more Dead Sea products needed anymore. <laughs> Not only that, if you think floating on the Dead Sea is, is, is cool, we're going to float up there. Because gravity won't be having any more power. We're going to be gone. 
And then the world is going to go into what the Bible says in that's what and also in Isaiah, a time of trial. And the trial does not begin with violence. No. The Antichrist is going to enter into is going to enter in It's not a violent ruler that will come and destroy Israel. No, he will first be the person who will Daniel 9:27, that's the Hebrew word. Look at it. It says. Hegbir. Hegbir in the Hebrew, he will increase. He will make the ordinary extraordinary. He will step up. He will make it spectacular. In other words, that which we thought is a peace deal is going to allow the Jewish people to return back to the Temple Mount and build their temple after 2,000 years where no one else before had allowed them to do so. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that he himself will stop halfway through the seven years for that last week that was given to Israel. He will stop the animal sacrifice. And 2 Thessalonians says that he's going to walk into the temple. You know, the Jewish people, I'm going to tell you something. When President Trump uh, moved the embassy to Jerusalem, we were amazed. I mean, the whole world was amazed, not for the right reason. We were amazed for the right reason. It was amazing. It was prophetic. It was biblical. But in, in that magnitude, world leader never ever called the President of the United States ever that, in that type of craziness as they did before the move of the embassy. The Holocaust did not give the White House that many phone calls as the move of the embassy. They are so obsessed, as long as it's not going to happen. And he did. And wait, so here he is, and I've, I'm, I'm a member of a lot of online groups that are sharing intelligence, and we have our sources in different places. And I, I couldn't stop seeing how many people are saying, President Trump, it's almost like the Messiah. That's what they said. Now, I, I said to myself, if, if a person is giving them Jerusalem as capital, is held almost as a Messiah, can you imagine what the one that will allow them to build a temple is going to be held as? The Messiah. And I gave a message two days ago in Calvary Chapel, Tustin, about the Antichrist. I can assure you, the Antichrist will not be a Muslim. Because a Muslim will not allow the Jews to build on the third holiest site for Muslims their holy temple. And I'll tell you another thing, he will be killed before he will live to see those days. But I can also tell you folks that he will do that. Most likely Israel will even invite him to the inauguration to cut the ribbon. And he will come and have those big scissors and he will cut the ribbon and then they want to show him the way out and he will show himself the way in. The Bible says that he will walk into the temple of God, exalting himself as God. And the Jews, who had so much hope in that temple, by the way, the Jews are having great hopes in the temple. They, they just claim that there is a red heifer born in, this, in, in, in Israel, where red heifer, 
should be examined two years. If uh, there is a white hair in the tuchus, it's not a red heifer anymore. So it has to be carefully examined, and so far, many of them along the history were disqualified. But if it is, think about it, they're already having the blueprints for the temple. You know that? There's a group of people from the Temple Institute teaching people all over Israel how the temple is going to look like, the building, the access, everything. We have contractors standing in line for it. We have priests being prepared for animal sacrifice. We've got the vessels ready. Amazing. They all hope that President Trump will continue what he started. But I believe so, that it's not going to be so. Because I, I have a strange feeling that the rapture is going to mess up America so badly that America will not be part of this whole peace deal that was offered. And Europe will rise back to power and the Roman Empire will be revived and the European leader will do that unthinkable. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that he will allow the Jews, he will, he will walk in, he will demand to be um, in power and then there will be another war. The war will be, A, against Israel, of course, they will flee to the desert, as Revelation 12 says, but also... Some of, the leader, some of the people on planet Earth will not agree that this Antichrist is going to rule the world, such as the kings of the East. Some people say China, some people say India. One thing for sure, hundreds of millions of cavaliers are going to come all the way from the East to fight him in Jerusalem. So there's going to be another world war that you guys, by mistake, call it Armageddon. Armageddon is not the name of a war, it's the name of a valley. And the valley is where they will gather their forces, according to Revelation 16, 16, to go to a war. And Zechariah 12 to 14 describes that the war will be about Jerusalem. So the battle will be there. And when Jesus comes back to put an end to that war, his feet will not stand on Mount Rushmore or anywhere in the tower in New York City. It will be standing on Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Daniel 12 says, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Michael, the archangel, the guardian of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, the trouble of Jacob, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book, Jesus will come and put an end to that war with his feet on Mount of Olives. And guess who comes with him? You're so quiet. <laughs> guess who comes with him? I always tell people when Jesus comes back in his second coming, pray that you will see his back and not his face. Pray that you are riding your horse behind him and not coming and not seeing him coming to destroy you. Because he came as a man of peace, he will return as a man of war to destroy his enemies. But then all Israel will be saved. Look, we just celebrate today the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Tabernacles is celebrated right after Yom Kippur. 
And Yom Kippur is celebrated right after Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets is to announce the coming of the Lord. Tabern Yom Kippur is the atonement that we need to do in order to repent and believe in Him. And then if we saw Him coming and repented and accepted Him, He will tabernacle with us. And that is going to be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus throughout the repentance of Israel. And that's what Zechariah describes, the fulfillment of the fall festivals from the return of Jesus to the repentance of Israel to the tabernacle. And that's why the only festival that we will celebrate in the millennial kingdom According to Zechariah chapter 14, he says, And all the nations of the world that will survive the tribulation will come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Wow! There will be airlines, Air Messiah, Messiah Airways, Jesus <laughs> Airlines. I mean, they're all coming. And for a thousand years. And how many of you, let's be frank, how many of you think that the millennial kingdom, Jesus reigns, sits on the on the throne of David in Jerusalem. How many of you honestly believed that the, that the millennial kingdom is a peaceful time? I'm telling you, people forget the millennial kingdom is a thousand years long reign of Jesus while Satan is where? In the what? Deep inside the bottomless pit. The Bible says in Revelation 20, he was kept there for a thousand years. But what happens after that? What happens after that? The Bible says that after that, Satan will be released for a short time. And guess what he's going to do? The Bible is clearly indicating that even after the great millennial kingdom, the Bible says... It says in verse 7 of chapter 20 of Revelation, And when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. He's using the same term of Ezekiel. But this time, it may be the same spirit of the enemy wants to attack the people of God, but this time it's attacking the saints. And look what he says. He says, and look, he says, Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth and of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And guess who came to help once again? Even in the second Gog and Magog, the Bible says, and... The Bible says, and, hello, fire came down from God out of the heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them, you know what is to deceive? To know the truth and tell someone the opposite. So the devil knew his, his hand. The devil knew he lost, but he didn't tell them that. So the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are. So we know now that at the end of the millennial kingdom, there will be another war. So we went through the peace that is now and then the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then we went through the false peace of the Antichrist and the war that will come at the very end. 
And then we went to the peace of the millennial kingdom at the very war that will come at the end of that one. Three times already. And then the Bible says, after Satan's last attempt to kill God's people that will fail again, there will be something phenomenal. This is when I start smiling. Because after the millennial kingdom, God is going to make all things new. Not before he's going to judge the world. The Bible says, blessed if you have part, you know, of the first resurrection, you have no part in the second death. If you were resurrected from your sins first, but also to be with Jesus, and then come back with Jesus, then you're no longer in your body that is flesh. You're in your changed body. Remember, that's it. You're in your glorified body. You cannot lose your salvation once you come back with Jesus. You understand? And, and the Bible says if you were raised from the dead, and if you were, went to be with Jesus, and if you come back with Jesus, and if you reign with Jesus, then when God will resurrect all the people around the world to judge them, then they will go through the second death, and we will not. That's it. The first resurrection skips the second death. Beautiful. And this is the ultimate peace. Why? Because only when we get to Revelation 21, when he makes all things new, he is restoring everything to what it was in Genesis 1 and 2. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, God, remember, said, let there be light. But in reality, the sun and the moon and the stars were only created on the fourth day. So who was the light of the world when he created the world? Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That in Revelation chapter 21, when we have the description of Jerusalem, it says in verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb of God is its menorah, is its light. We will once again have Jesus shining his light. And there will be no moon, no stars, no sun. All those tree huggers are going to... <laughs> now, global warming, yeah, that's global warming. <laughs> and now, if that's not enough... We're entering into a period where we don't even need a temple. Look, when God created the world in the Garden of Eden, do we know of any temple? No. You know why? Because God didn't need a temple. He was just walking in the garden. Wow. That's what he intended, fellowship. And in Revelation 21, it says in verse 22, in the new Jerusalem, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So we are about to enter into eternity where it's peace with God. I say that because the Bible says in, Ezekiel, in, in, in Revelation 21, Behold, 
He said regarding, uh, uh, regarding uh, that in verse 3. He said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. God wants to tabernacle with us. And then he said, He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and, they, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death and no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So if you are in Christ today, you're about to be ushered after the, trip, after the millennial kingdom into everything that God ever intended the world to be like in the very beginning. However, the bad news is that if you don't have that fellowship with him now, you will not have that fellowship with him then. If you don't have that peace of him now, you will not have that peace of him then. And unfortunately, those who will not be part of the eternal life with the Lord the Bible says they will be without Him, detached from Him. Detached from Him, that, that to be detached from the love, from the peace, from the joy, from the hope. Do you know that hell, many, many times when soldiers go to war, they come back and describe it as hell. Hell is probably the best thing I can describe a war. And war is definitely something that looks like hell. Death and pain and sorrow and grief and fire. Daniel 12, Revelation 20 is speaking of the resurrection and the second death. The separation from God that means what? If God is peace and fellowship with Him is peace, then separation from God is what? War. That's the number four. Peace and war. But this one is eternal. This one is lake of fire, gnashing of teeth, death, pain, no love, no way. You know, God is telling us all of that not to scare us. You know, the Bible prophecy is not to scare. It's what? To prepare. The only one that is scared is the one that is not prepared. But we are here when we look at all things that are happening and we see things happening, by the way, you're the only generation. This is the only generation. You guys that are sitting here, if you're 82 or if you're 12, you're the same thing. It's the generation. We are the only generation. Your grandparents wish they lived to see what you see. And Jesus didn't lie to his disciples that once you accept me, your life will be a garden of roses. He actually said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, but in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. And so I want to encourage and challenge you at the same time. Look, I am a Jew 
from the tribe of Judah, born in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. I live in the Galilee. Israel is back. We're alive. The fig tree is blooming. You cannot say tomorrow, if the rapture takes place and you're left here, you cannot say, I did not know. Here I am telling you, you know. The Bible actually say in Hebrews chapter 10, the following thing. Let us, in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, he said. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And then look what he says. And so much more as you see the day approaching. We, we see the day approaching. We don't hope for things. We see. Do you have eyes? I want you to take your two fingers right now and make sure you have eyes. <laughs> Touch them. Because if you have eyes, you see. You see Israel back after 2,000 years. You see Jerusalem in their hand. You see the Temple Institute ready for another temple. You see Russia on our border. Iran and Turkey, Sudan and Libya, they're all ready for that war. You see that in Europe, saturated with satanic, diabolic practices, Europe is going to produce the man of evil. You see the day approaching. We're soon out of here. And I'm not a prophet. I'm from a non-profit organization. <laughs> However, Jesus said to the two disciples as he walked with them to Emmaus, and they talked about all the current events. Look what happened in Jerusalem. Are you the only one, the only stranger, and you don't know what happened? And then he said, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. That which was spoken by the prophets. He said, look, every Shabbat you go to the synagogue, you read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah, you read Ezekiel, you read Hosea, you read all of them, Zechariah. But you, you just don't believe. And here it is. Here I am. And you still cannot see me. And today... Israel is back in the land. Here they are. And you still don't believe. There is no other nation on planet earth that resurrected after 2,000 years of being away from its land and language and people and all of that. There is no other nation that was hated and persecuted so much for who they are. There is no other nation that made that swing from almost annihilation to being the eighth most powerful nation on planet earth with such a short time. This is the work of God. And I will end up just by telling you that I was watching a YouTube of a Jewish Orthodox Jew, historian and theologian, who actually on camera said, 
First of all, I believe Jesus was resurrected. But I believe Jesus was resurrected and he is the Messiah of the Gentiles. And then <laughs> the guy asked him, and, and what about the Jews? Well, he might be our Messiah in the future. That's what he said. I thought I lost it. <laughs> I said, did, did he just say what I heard him say? I, I, I went back and he said it again. Then I realized, I rewinded it. He said it only once. <laughs> but I'm just, they're saying it. And when he returns, they will say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. And they look at him whom they pierced. And they will mourn and they will cry and they will repent. So he will return to fulfill Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, because he comes in the last trumpet. And then they will mourn and cry and repent the atonement. And then he will dwell with them to be the tabernacles. And here we are, the Jewish people today are all sitting at the, in the sukkah in the tabernacle today. And they don't know that one day Jesus will, turn, will return to re restore the fallen tabernacle of David. He will sit on his throne and they will be back, his people, and he'll be their God. God is faithful. Even if we are faithless, he says he's faithful. He cannot deny himself. Israel was there, preserved, so you, the Gentiles, will understand that God is in the business of fulfilling his promises. How terrible it is to see them and not to understand that it's all about you. God said in Ezekiel, when he will win that war, he said, and I will do that so the nations will know that I am God. Everything he did with Israel, it's so the nations will see. The nations will know. And here you are, Gentiles, no longer under any condemnation, eating bacon for breakfast. <laughs> you know what I do? I take bacon. I, what I do, I sprinkle water on it and I say, you're chicken, you're chicken, you're chicken. <laughs> And miraculously, it is. <laughs> Folks, tonight, uh, this morning, I hope, or this afternoon, I hope that you know that you have peace with God now through Jesus, because he said, in me, you will have peace. And I hope and pray that that peace that you have now, the peace that sur surpasses all understanding, will lead you to have the greatest peace of all, of having eternal life with Jesus in the new Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is true. Sanctify us with that truth, Father. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that we are the generation that shall not pass away. We're the only generation that is watching the fig tree blooming and we are the only generation that is watching Israel prospering, coming back to life in, in, the most, in the single most prophetic, amazing sign that you, through Jesus Christ, told us to wait for and look for. And here we are today, Father, watching how the world is swinging between peace and war and war and peace. 
And we know, Father, that the only ultimate peace can be found in Him. In this world, we will find tribulations, but we want to always remember that Jesus had overcome this world. Father, I thank you for everyone here today. And if there is anyone here that is not ready to meet you, his life is not in order, his walk with you was put on hold. Today, Father, before it's too late, today is the day of salvation. We thank you, Father, for your promises, for your word. We thank you, Father, for your heart to tabernacle with all of us. And on this Feast of Tabernacles, we pray for the nation of Israel, Father, that you will open their eyes to see their Messiah, because not acknowledging him now will result with a great trouble for Jacob. Lots of suffering. But then they will earnestly seek you, and you will come and save them. We thank you for your heart, for the peace and the joy and the hope of our salvation. We bless your name today, and we do that in the name of the Holy One of Israel, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, the name that is above all names, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is Yeshua, our salvation. He is the light of revelation to the nations around and the glory of His people Israel. In the name of Jesus we pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.